Welcome to episode 36 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we are going to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights from 1997, which received three nominations at the 70th Academy Awards. It didn't win anything, but that's all right. Because <laughs> it's a winner in my heart. It's definitely one of my favorite films of all time to talk about. Uh, here we go, man. You know, we're, we, we got a huge, huge cast that we can, you know, kind of talk about here. I know there's some actors here that you, you love and, you know, seeing a guy like Burt Reynolds, you know, doing something totally different than what you're used to is, is great. Uh, but PTA, this is his second movie, right? You know, and Heart Eight is a movie that came out just a year before 1996 and you just got to watch that. So I, I kind of want to open the table right away and let you kind of just just talk about what an awesome debut film that is. Yeah, sure. Paul Thomas Anderson's a filmmaker I've respected for years. I've been kind of gradually chipping away at his filmography. Uh, these shows have really <laughs> like rushed me to the finish line, that's for sure. And um, Hard Eight was the last one. And it's on Prime, so I checked it out for prep for this show. And it's a fantastic debut. A guy who clearly knew what he wanted from his career, what he wanted to be, what he wanted to do. He could, he was an incredible storyteller. He could juggle a great cast. He just was, he, he had it all from the start. And very few filmmakers are that good at the, at the beginning of their careers. It's most people have to work for years to build uh, that kind of talent. But he went in immediately and made Heart Eight and then Boogie Nights and then Magnolia. And then he just kept <laughs> rolling along. He's only eight films deep, which is kind of amazing. Uh, he's got a hell of a track record and I'm very excited to talk about him today. Heart Eight was a fun, engaging, unpredictable watch. And that's the best. Yeah. Yeah. A really, really cool cast, you know, Philip Baker Hall and John C. Riley and, Gwyneth Paltrow and Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, and you see, of course, the beginning stages of a, of a very special connection between Philip Seymour Hoffman and Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, and even, even John C. Riley and uh, Philip Baker Hall, these guys are, you know, mainstays for, for PTA and they totally understand what he's going for, what, what the kind of filmmaking that's happening and, and a hard eight, I, I really, I thought, you know, I love all, I love them all. It's very hard for me to, <laughs> to kind of rank them. I love all of his movies, but Heart Eight for me was the one that I thought you were going to like the most. Cause I think it has this, I think it has this pace to it and, and, and the length of it, <laughs> you could tell there was a, you know, there were producers that were like, Oh, let's hold this 27 year old back or, you know, 26 year old back, like, Holy shit. Uh, you know, that the wheels came off a little bit in Boogie Nights and Magnolia, the, the, <laughs> the length of those, you know, it's like two hours and 35 minutes and then it's like three hours plus for Magnolia. So he, 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 he got what he wanted after, you know, proving what he could do here with Heart eight. And I, I think it's really important to go back and watch that movie. Like you said, it's on prime. Uh, I, I love, I love talking about that one. I love, when someone finally sees it after seeing everything else, you know, cause it's yeah. usually last one people get to. Uh, and that, that's how it was for me. Uh, but Boogie Nights, that's the one we're going to be talking about heavy here today. We're going to be talking about the 70th Academy Awards a little bit, giving awards out ourselves to Boogie Nights, which will in turn create a, a big conversation. I can't wait to do that 
it was very hard for me to choose my Ennio Morricone award. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause the, cause the soundtrack of Boogie Nights is just one of the best, <laughs> one of the best ever. Uh, so let, let's move on. Um, Magnolia. That'd be the third, you know, feature length film uh, under Paul Thomas Anderson's belt. And it's my personal favorite. Um, I don't think it's his best movie. I think that's a totally different conversation. I think you most certainly connect with certain PTA movies and find some of them to be really funny or you, you like the pace of them or like the heavy editing or you like, you know, something that's a little bit more broad. Uh, I just find Magnolia to be three hours of awesome, awesome movie making. And I could watch nine hours of it. I could watch 12 hours of it. You know, it, it just doesn't really matter. I'm, I kind of feel at home when I'm watching that one, you know, whether it be John C. Riley or Tom Cruise or Philip Seymour Hoffman or, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm right at home with that one. I, I, I love Magnolia. Magnolia was a film I was very hesitant to watch because, you know, three plus hours is intimidating. Yes. And I, uh, when I found out it was like one of your favorite movies, I was like, well, I'm going to have to watch this at some point. And then we did the PSH episode on Filmgasm and I was like, fuck, here it is. And <laughs> I, you know me, I don't like self-indulgent artsy shit. I like a streamlined plot. I like to, you know, get into a narrative. And Magnolia yes. sucked me in almost immediately because of how well constructed each segment is and the incredible performances from everybody involved. Magnolia is an amazing film. And I encourage people to ignore the runtime and dive into that thing headfirst. It is a real pleasure and it's a haunting film. Uh, Tom Cruise alone goes to places I didn't know he was capable of going in that film. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly surprised we have not yet done that on this show. I assumed when we had the idea for Oscar Sunday, that was going to be in like the first five. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to talk about some things that I really, really love. Like Boogie Nights is very easy for me to talk about. I know it, I know exactly what it is I love about it. I'm it's totally comfortable doing an episode about it. That's why we're doing it here today. It's pr probably the one I'm most comfortable talking about out of his whole filmography. Uh, it's like comfort food to me, Boogie Nights. Like I, yeah. I've, I've thrown it on. There's been countless nights where I've thrown it on just like barely awake and just kind of throw it on and, you know, just kind of lay down. And sometimes I'll watch the whole thing. Sometimes, you know, watch an hour of it, whatever. I just, I just love it. But, Magnolia is is like the one that I don't watch as much, but I'm like, oh boy, that that one kind of kind of does me in there. <laughs> you can yeah, every time I do sink my teeth into it, it's this kind of wild experience, and I I you know it, it's difficult for me to talk about. I think doing a episode on it would help me kind of figure out figure out some of my emotions about it. Cause I definitely like uh, biblical references in movies. So the ending of that movie is very, uh, very impactful to me. I know it can be seen as silly to some people, the finale of Magnolia, but I, I find it to be amazing. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, Tom, Tom Cruise is Oscar nominated. Paul Thomas Anderson was Oscar nominated for that movie for best screenplay. And Amy Mann was nominated for best original song, Save Me. We most certainly could do that <laughs> on the show. We, we, did, we did Fight Club, uh, 1999, and I cannot wait to do a Best Picture Showdown around that, that year. Uh, I really wish Magnolia was in that group. Um, but, you know, American Beauty won that year. And I actually think that those two movies are a pretty interesting double feature, uh, American Beauty and Magnolia. <laughs> you got that kind of time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah, if you got five and a half hours to just kind of, you know, knock out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could, I could kind of go on and on about, especially 1999, you know, I think that year is just kind of connects in a really weird way. And yeah, I could kind of talk about it forever, but Magnolia is definitely my favorite from that year, my favorite PTA. And usually when people ask me what your favorite movie is, that this is, that's my answer. It's usually Magnolia. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to a film. I, I definitely love, love, uh, love, but not as much as Magnolia. I think it's <clears throat> one of Paul Thomas Anderson's most bizarre films, Punch Drunk Love, 2002. Oh man. To see PTA work with a guy like Adam Sandler. How weird is that? It's incredibly bizarre. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson makes a lot of moves in his career that could be the end. Like, he doesn't care. He's all about what is the best thing for the art. And I respect the hell out of that. And he, Adam Sandler brings something very different to that movie. Uh, I think it's the perfect balance of dramatic chops and comedic uh, talent. Like you need that balance for that character to work. And Adam Sandler pulls it off. I've heard, I've heard like theories that he's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be about Superman. I've heard theories about that. Cause he's got like the blue suit and like, he's very strong. I don't know how, I don't know about that, but it's, it makes you look at the film a little different. That's for sure. It's a, yeah, it's a different take on Clark and Lois. Yeah. yeah basically. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, punch drunk love is, <laughs> probably his funniest movie, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Ooh, that is so hard. That's such a difficult, I'm not arguing with you. Yeah. I think it's so funny, but that's such a difficult thing. Cause they're, they all have their own charm. Yeah, they do. But there's something, there's something about the PSH. easy mattress salesman versus the pudding guy. It's so yeah. weird, but so goddamn funny. It's impossible not to laugh during that whole, bit truly truly yeah and that that's a film <clears throat> punch drunk love that i i have super super mixed feelings about the first time i saw it i i didn't quite i didn't quite know all of pta's work i actually saw this before boogie nights uh before magnolia and i just you know i was just kind of like whoa this adam sandler movie is really weird <laughs> you know and and this uh what we're doing here at film guys and there's not really a place for it necessarily it was not oscar nominated um i i understand that it, it is quite quite a bizarre movie i wish sandler would have been nominated that would have been cool um uncut gems also yeah. fucking sandler sandler should have got that noise uh <laughs> we yeah we definitely love sandler here and so to see him work with a director like this it, it is very cool and, you know, similarly to him working with like Noah Baumbach or him working with the Safdie brothers, it's just cool to see those little 
little glimpses in, into Adam Sandler kind of having this, oh, this whole other taste, you know? Uh, and I, I, yeah, I do really enjoy that one. I, th- I, th- I think it's one that is on, is it on Netflix still? It was for a little bit there. I'm not sure. Let me check real fast. A lot of PTA's films are streaming, which is great. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, Punch Drunk Love is available through Cinemax. So if you have Cinemax, that's where you can watch it. Okay. There you go. Um, this next one is uh, it's a big one. <laughs> I think a lot of people look at this as, the, you know, all right, this is kind of the overall favorite. The uh, 2007's There Will Be Blood. Yeah. A, movie, a movie that totally went toe-to-toe with No Country for Old Men. Uh, for, for that best picture, best picture Oscar. And yeah, it just, it, it had, it had a good day it had, you know, it was nominated for a lot of shit. And it, like I said, went toe to toe with no country with that, that brilliant Cohen film. It just so happens that the Coens might've made their masterpiece as well <laughs> <laughs> the same year. And then this other movie called Zodiac <laughs> just got completely ignored at that show. Um, maybe David Fincher's masterpiece also came out that year. So it's, it's a really, really big year, I think, for, for, for some big-time directors. And the phrase David Fincher's masterpiece, that, that's, a, that's a tall order. Uh, <laughs> I don't, there's like five or six films I could fit that one. Oh, I agree. I agree <laughs> with you. I think, I, I think, um, I think all, all three of those, I think the Coens, Fincher and PTA could all say that they have four or five masterpieces oh, yeah. un- under their belt. <laughs> Absolutely. 07 was a hell of a competitive year. And it, for me, it really was a coin toss uh, it, between really both of these films. Uh, there will be blood features. I don't know how to quite say this. Just Daniel day Lewis. It's, it, it might be his best performance. It I think it. Be. I think it is. I think it is. I th- I, yeah. I, I, we... Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, of, cor- of, of course. Of course. It's you know you you bring up all these different things and you know hundreds of different moments and movies come to your mind. You know, different dialogue, different just facial expressions, different you know different kinds of violence and different kinds of heroism he carries this he carries this masterpiece and it's it's a performance that can kind of be stacked up against anybody else anybody else's best stuff like you know i think you and i are you know very very fond of you know what he's doing as christy brown um and my left foot and we're very very fond of what he's doing as bill the butcher and gangs in new york you know kind of showing some, just shows the range there how just how evil he can get and menacing and how he can deliver these just unbelievable lines uh and then and christy brown he he does the physical just transformation kind of thing and you yeah. you can't believe you can't believe you're watching a guy who also played lincoln it's crazy it's crazy stuff and uh, the guy you know he's won three been nominated for six it, you know i've I, I call him kind of the michael jordan of the oscars where it's just like this guy's dominant when he showed up he almost won every time you know um 
and has an argument every time. It's, it's pretty impressive. It's amazing. Uh, I think we've, we've brought up the idea of, you know, who is the goat when it comes to <laughs> acting. And we look at people who've done the paycheck gigs and phoned it in. And Daniel Day-Lewis is maybe, like, maybe the only guy, at least in the past there. years, who never They're not there. In. He never yeah. phoned it in. He never did a paycheck gig. Every performance was the end-all, be-all to this guy. Yeah. And you see it every time. I, yeah, I got nothing but praise for the guy. I'll, he's the man. <laughs> yeah, 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 truly. I mean, yeah, Last of the Mohicans, in the name of the father, you know, my beautiful laundrette, you know, this – this guy's this guy's crazy good, and his batting average is almost almost perfect. It's almost a thousand. He's crazy good. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We have mad respect for him. Uh, there will be blood. Just real quick before we move on <clears throat> to another, <clears throat> what I think is another masterpiece is uh, from 2012. Uh, there will be blood was nominated for best uh, sound editing, best art direction, best film editing, uh, screenplay directing and it won uh oh sorry also best motion picture of the year of course we talked about that and it won best cinematography and daniel day lewis best performance by lead actor so yeah yeah, just awesome stuff there you know and of course is a movie that we would love to cover on this show a movie that i don't know if i can pick a deacon's pick a best scene you know there there's just a lot a lot of good good things happening there uh yeah we we could go on and on but um 2012 the master Mm. we have a we we see pta take a five-year gap and then he makes a film that doesn't do very well you know uh financially he kind of knew that was going to happen right just made it anyway. You talked about how he was just, he's kind of going to make his kind of art no matter what at this point. And, and the, the master is what he says now, PTA says that's his best movie now. That's what he says. And I think there's a lot of his fans that agree with that. And I, I see, I see, I see the argument. I think that one and there will be blood are just on this different kind of level. I, I don't really see anybody being able to really sit down and watch either of those movies and not be kind of just stirred and, and kind of just moved in some way. Uh, what, what do you think? The master is a very ambitious film and also in Hollywood, incredibly risky because it did, it destroyed his friendship with Tom Cruise because this is essentially a film about Scientology just with a different name. You know, the character of uh, Lancaster Dodd is L. Ron Hubbard. Yes. Everything but name. And you got to be really careful when you go after Scientology. And I'm, you know, I'm, I bet that's why it didn't do well. Because they, you know, shut that shit down. But it is a great character study and a phenomenal piece for every actor involved. And oh. I mean, it's a shame that that had to be really Philip Seymour Hoffman's like one of his last films, but it's a hell of a way to go out. It, it's his last great performance. Yeah, it's his last. It, there's a reason you and I chose w- 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 a long time ago. Now <laughs> we did it. We did an episode just kind of talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman's career because we're both just we love the guy. We we yeah we we named an award after him here. We love the guy, and I. Definitely think he should have won the Oscar for what he's doing as Lancaster Dodd. 
you know, Joaquin was also nominated and Amy Adams. Th- those three, it, it's a clinic. It's a, it's a fucking acting clinic. So it, if anything, even if you don't like the style of the film or it's a little, the pace is a little off for you or whatever, just watch those three. It's worth it. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a class watching those three just kind of, it's like a ballet. You're watching Peggy Dodd, Lancaster Dodd and Freddie Quell just fucking, whoa, man, they're, they're on a different level in that movie. I think all three of them have, have an argument to win that year. Yeah, it's, he, he does that. Paul Thomas Anderson can bring out remarkable things in his actors. And we've see, we see that from Hard Eight all the way to, the, to his most recent film. And I'm, we're certainly going to see that in the thing he's got in the works right now. Um, for me, the master's worth, like if you're just a casual moviegoer, if you're not as in deep as we are, uh, I recommend watching the master if only to see Philip Seymour Hoffman call a dude a pig fuck. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, why, why can I not think of that actor? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look into that. But uh, it, it was just nominated for those three people at that, that awards. I, I, I truly think it should have been up for Best Picture and, and other things. It would be a very interesting episode because I think there's a lot there and a lot. You know, I think PTA is really leaning on his, his influences and shouting out shouting out some awesome, awesome stuff in cinema. And I, I saw it in theaters and I didn't quite, quite know what was going on, but um, I, I do this next movie that we're going to talk about. I know you have some mixed feelings about mm-hmm. it's uh, just, just two years after the master, he gets Joaquin Phoenix to come on back and uh, 2014 inherent vice. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not, I'm not a fan inherent vice makes zero sense, but I don't blame Paul Thomas Anderson for that. I blame Thomas Pynchon for writing an intentionally confusing book. I think I don't get the appeal in that. Like why would anybody be, you know, excited to read a book that openly is sold as a confusing story that makes no sense. And then a confusing movie that makes no sense. The only thing I took away from inherent vice is Josh Brolin screaming for pancakes in Japanese. That. (laughs) That is awesome. Me and Caleb, uh, the co-founder of Filmgasm, made that an ongoing joke. We would scream that at each other constantly. Muto Panakeko, Muto, just <laughs> randomly. <laughs> so that's, that is that's, one. That is that's all I got from an Aaron. But <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I have a different experience with with that movie. I, I saw it saw it in theaters with with a friend and just immediately kind of got, got sucked in, you know, we talked, we've talked a lot about 2014 before on, on multiple shows. It's just kind of come up. Uh, we definitely dove in when we talked about whiplash um, on this show. And that was a lot of fun. And then Vice is another one of those movies from that year, you know, Grand Put the Best Hotel is another one, Birdman, you know, all these different kinds of, different kinds of films and inherent vice just stood out as this, as the weird one, as the kind of glossy, you know, drug induced, what, what's happening. You know, you talk about Josh Brolin. I mean, he just eats, just eats weed. He just starts, ah, you know, just like, is that Thanos? You know, (laughs) it's, it's a, it's crazy stuff. And there's, 
there's a lot, lot happening, lots of different wild performances and Joaquin is totally buying in to what, to what's happening in that movie. And I, I have, you know, I have a sincere, like sincere, like for it. And I have like a good time. I'm kind of like laughing most of the time that I'm watching that movie. And, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest here. There, there was one time I, I watched the film, uh, you know, there may have been psychedelics involved and woof, <laughs> just, uh, you know, totally different, totally different experience and pretty, pretty wild stuff. And kind of gave me a whole, whole new, uh, respect for, for Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> as a, as a filmmaker altogether. I, I do think it's not one of his best movies though. I, I totally understand that. And I get why some people kind of have it up towards the bottom. It's, you know, it just comes down to, for me, I have, you know, certain things I don't like in a movie. I don't like self-indulgent, confusing shit for the sake of being confusing. I like narrative-driven films, character-driven films. And I thought Inherent Vice just went in so many different directions that made yeah. sense. Yeah. And I like closure. And I didn't even know what the story was supposed to be. I didn't know if I was supposed to laugh, if I was supposed to be sad. Like, I didn't know what genre it was. It was just, it, remind, it felt like a David Lynch movie more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's perfect. I, I love that. Definitely felt like there was some twin peaks going on somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, plus Caleb and I went to Applebee's before we went and that was shit. So we were already getting like a little irritated mood. We missed the first show and we had to wait like four hours for the next one. So we were already like, this better be good. Fair enough. <laughs> ah, good times. I love that, man. I love that. You know, there's movies that you can kind of pinpoint exactly what happened that day, whether, whether you liked the movie or not. I love that, you know, and that's really fun. You know, you had specific moments. Um, 2017 Phantom Thread. Yeah. Teams up with Daniel Day Lewis again and Daniel Day Lewis's last film. Yeah. And he, he has not, he has not shown up since he has, you know, stayed true to his word. It's been, been four years now about since that movie movie came out and Oh boy. Phantom thread. That's a, it's a very heavy movie that this is a film that came out right around when you and I met and, you know, we were definitely consuming a lot of movies that came out 2017. Then once we got into 2018 and you and I were, starting to kind of figure out we're going to like try recording together and, you know, see if we can make some kind of mix, make some kind of podcast thing here. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think about movies like Phantom Thread a lot, that movies that came out right before that, that just kind of, there, there has to be movies that inspire you and and kind of make you jump towards something and I, I think there was a slew of them in 2017 and 2018 for you and I. And speaking for myself, Phantom Thread is one of those where this is a filmmaker at that point I had pretty much fallen in love with. I had seen, seen everything and was like, just feed me anything, you know, anything with his name on it. I don't need a trailer. Just like, just sit me down and I'll watch it and. Phantom Thread was a great movie to not watch the trailer for. And he just shows yet again, Paul Thomas Anderson shows again. uh, And Daniel Day-Lewis shows again for the last time, just how, just how fucking in control they are. 
and how the, the craft is just does not go away. <laughs> Even at age, um, he's 50 now. So at, you know, age 47 or so, just still, still got it. <laughs> so cool. Well, I think it speaks volumes that Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the few directors who Daniel Day-Lewis worked with more than once. Uh, I think Jim Sheridan and Martin Scorsese are the only two others. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. That's pretty cool to, to team up more than once with, with Daniel Day-Lewis shows a real mutual respect. And the character of uh, Reynolds Woodcock is one of the most complex that DDL ever played and yeah, a hell of a swan song. He's a guy who you understand, but you also kind of despise, but you get it in a weird way. It, it's such a, an oddball film. And uh, you wouldn't think that for going in, but you know, with Paul Thomas Anderson, nothing is quite the way you think it's going to be. He's very good at kind of uh, highlighting the, like very dark sides of places you wouldn't think as like dark. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Shows you a light bubbly scenario and then tricks you into seeing the darkness of it. He does that all the time, especially in Boogie Nights. Oh yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I think uh, Phantom Thread is an underrated film of his. I think that, uh, it was a big Oscar tent contender. I think it only took home costume design. Yeah. Uh, which is not surprising considering it's about a guy who is, you know, the best tailor in, in England. Um, yeah. Phantom Thread. I, it's been a while since I saw it, but it is, I remember very much enjoying it and uh, wondering why more people weren't talking about it. And uh, yeah, Gary Oldman beat Daniel Day-Lewis that year, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Not a lot of people beat Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really like what Daniel Day Lewis is doing in in, in uh, Phantom Thread, mm-hmm. and I'm cool with Gary Oldman's performance. But like, I don't think either of them are like it's nowhere near either either of the guy's best work. Fair enough. Who do you think? Uh... Should have taken home gold that year. 2017. Let's see. Oof. Let's see. That would be Timothy Chalmay. Mm-hmm. Um, who else would have been up that year, 2017? Um, Daniel Kaluuya and Denzel Washington. Okay. Denzel for... Roman J. Israel Esquire. Oh, okay. I was going to say Fences is 2016. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. That's not a... It's not a sh- super strong group. Well, I, I think don't was, know, man. I think that one of those was supposed to be James Franco for the disaster artist until some accusations got him shut yeah. out. Yeah, I don't know. What do you th- who do you think is the best out of that group? Personally, I, I, I do think Gary Oldman deserved it. I think... Darkest Hour is a hell of a film and he really gives it his all as Churchill. And I'm, I was very happy to see him win as a longtime fan of Gary Oldman. It was so great yeah. to see him get the gold. Agreed. I, I think, I think my vote would go, you know, we're, we're, at some point we'll do this again and maybe I'll kind of 
reflect, but I, I think I'll go Daniel Kalia and, and get out. I think, I think he pretty much carries a horror movie. Uh, this, this British dude playing this guy from seemingly, seemingly somewhere in New York and just kind of seamlessly allows this, the movie get out to move like just gold. That's why. That's why it's gone beyond just being a, just being a horror movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so annoying. Because um, that that's the kind of shit that horror can't offer, and people want to just totally neglect it. Uh, and then when something like Get Out comes around, everybody goes crazy. Uh, but but I think I think now after, you know, that almost came out four years ago. It came out in March of two thousand <laughs> two thousand seventeen. Get Out. I think after all this time, I think Daniel Kaluuya is my personal favorite part of the movie. I think he is kind of giving an all-time performance. And maybe we're going to look back and be like, oh, shit, we didn't give it to him. And we didn't give it to him for sporting actor for for widows, so shit. (laughs) You know, uh, I think you can miss out on guys' young stuff, and then you end up in turn having to give guys like Gary Oldman stuff when they're older. Because Gary Oldman has a lot of great shit from his old, his younger days that I that I wish would have gotten more praise. I think Kaluuya is probably going to be up this year for Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, hopefully. hopefully, got the Globe nomination. The movie looks amazing. Comes out next week. Uh, I'm I'm confident he'll be nominated. And if it's if it's as good as I'm expecting, I, he might win, which would be awesome. I hope so, man. That would be that would be fantastic. 2017 best actors i would have submitted hugh jackman for logan oh yeah that's a that's a real strong performance i I, i'm i'm partial to ryan gosling and blade runner um yeah there's there's a few few films i can think of at the top of my head that got some got some good performances yeah well you know what it could have (laughs) should (laughs) have so that's pta hell of a a run he's got a movie in the works right now uh, mm-hmm. untitled as of now. It's supposed to come out. The, it says it's 2021, but I, I doubt that. Uh, <laughs> it's supposed to follow a high school student in the 1970s San Fernando Valley, who is also a successful child actor, starring uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, which is amazing. So yeah, I'm super cool. Yeah, I'm super excited for this. Yeah, yeah, definitely can't wait. I'm what well, I'm on board for anything the guy does. He's at this point. I've told you, and I've probably said it before. He's you know he's my personal favorite favorite filmmaker. Uh, I think think I think all the movies have something to offer, something real cool to offer, and I think a few of them are amazing. And some of my some of my all time favorite movies. <clears throat> um, you know, I want to shift to the 70th Academy Awards because you know this show Oscar Sunday we like to highlight movies that sometimes we highlight movies at Pulp Fiction our first episode ever the Oscars most certainly help propel that movie into a into a different sort of stratosphere yeah and when Quentin Tarantino got the the screenplay I was like whoa 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 you know it's this whole different kind of kind of ball game you, you you got different, you got a whole different crowd paying attention to you. And this, this happened with Paul Thomas Anderson and Boogie Nights. When when Boogie Nights gets, gets those, you know, those three nominations, you know, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about screenplay a bit and 
you know, the supporting actress and supporting actor uh, not, uh, categories. I, th- I think those are important for Boogie Nights to reach a certain place, if you know what I mean. And I think, I think that happened in the 90s with, with some filmmakers where all of a sudden, oh, they're not just this, you know, 20, 30-year-old something dude they're also Oscar nominated and that, you know, these scripts and performances are for what it's worth. The Academy says are noteworthy and that gets some people to pay attention. And it also allows us to do cool movies like this on this show. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not, it's not every day you get a movie about a, a bunch of porn stars uh, on Oscar Sunday. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Well, you know, we've said it many times on this show. I know we said it at length in the wings episode, the title of Academy Award nominee or Academy Award winner means something. As trivial as some may consider the Oscars to be, as much of a popularity contest as it indeed is, that title is incredibly significant in the industry. And it gives these people chances to make more stuff, to make more stuff under their own control. I think if Paul Thomas Anderson had not been nominated for Boogie Nights, he might not have been able to go out of his way to do what he wanted for Magnolia. Yes, so it all comes around and it all matters. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, Boogie Nights operates on around a $15 million budget and <clears throat> makes about $40 million and gets these, you know, these awards going. And all of a sudden Paul Thomas Anderson's got a career and like you said, is able to be free with Magnolia. So yeah, I'm very, very grateful for what, things are things like the academy are able to do i i wish they were in turn more fair about how they give those trophies out yeah because they do mean something and sometimes sometimes they act like it doesn't and disrespect their own (laughs) their own process (laughs) uh you and i more times than not you know we find a lot of the best picture nominees to be pretty good movies right yeah but more, more times than not, we're like, mm, think they were wrong. Or with the, with the actor category, we're like, oh, that was way off. Or, you know, more times than not. <laughs> but but that's that's part of the fun is just kind of looking at it. And I can't wait to start right here because we have five movies that are all so different. And, and you know, in the screenplay category and, and of course, the winner uh, – one of the you know, most famous Oscar speeches of all time. So let's get to it. <laughs> Just looking at the top five for best picture, like uh, this was the year where Titanic swept, uh, which yeah. I have mixed feelings about. We'll get to that eventually. Yes. But I think The Full Monty is a good movie, but it has no business being in best picture. Not when Boogie Nights is out there. <laughs> not, not when Jackie motherfucking Brown is out there. Yeah, yeah, I mean... No business. Yeah. Well, let's start. Do you want to, where do you want to start with this one? Because they're all well, three pretty big. Let's do screenplay first. I, I like opening up with this group. Uh, yeah, and then we'll we'll get to the the acting stuff after, and okay. that that that'll bring up Titanic at, at the end uh, for supporting actors. Right on. Best original screenplay, as good as it gets, by Mark Andrus and James L. Brooks. Boogie Nights by Paul Thomas Anderson. Deconstructing Harry by Woody Allen. The Full Monty by Simon Beaufoy, and the winner, Goodwill Hunting by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Interesting bunch here. Uh, the only one I have not seen is Deconstructing Harry. Same. 
I, I don't think you know, looking at it, uh, I think Woody Allen has way more nominations than he should have. Uh, yeah, Woody has like 19 some bullshit <laughs> altogether for directing and writing. Yeah, I, I just, there's some good stuff there, but overall, I, yeah, just for me, not, not for me. <laughs> Personally, I think this should have gone to as good as it gets. Totally cool with that. James Brooks, absolute mastermind. Uh, yeah. As good as it gets, features some really, really, really good performances. You know, Jack Nicholson wins best actor here. Uh, <laughs> a guy that we've got to talk about through Chinatown, through five easy pieces, and a guy that we'll always bring up when we can because he's just, I, I, you know, we talked about Daniel Day Lewis just fucking, you know, his batting average is, you know, is pristine. Jack Nicholson was prolific as fuck, you know, uh, th- throughout, throughout his, his, his earlier days, you know, during the seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, this guy is just churning out and most of them are fucking good performance, good performances. And as good as it gets, he, he does the, he does the Jack where he's just kind of leaning back and he, the movie star, he's doing the movie star thing where you're like, Oh my God, the camera's just relying on this, this, gem this gem of a movie star yeah i think he was genuinely surprised that he won i think he was not expecting that he was laid back he's got the shades he's just you know he's jack he's in the front row he is hollywood right there but he's like oh shit i got it i love that little skip hopping at skip he does on the way up to the stage and you look at his three wins you got one in the 70s one in the 80s one in the 90s the guy swept three decades that's fucking yep. awesome and, and 12 nominations altogether. just bonkers but as good as it gets, I think its biggest strength is the witty screenplay. I love, you know, some of the lines. My favorite, it's got one of my all-time favorite lines of all time. I may have said this on the show before, but fuck it. It's when he is going into his office and Julie Benz comes up to him and it says, I'm a big fan and I have a question. How do you write women so well? And he looks right at her and goes, I think of a man and I take away reason and accountability. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. <laughs> so like, good. Go, you know go sell crazy somewhere else. We're all stocked up here. Shit like that. It's, it's great. <laughs> and it's witty and it's, and it's charming and it's sweet. And I, I think it's a brilliant story. And I, Goodwill hunting is really good, but I think that Damon and Affleck were a little, a little juvenile in there. You know, they, they were still figuring it out. I feel like giving them the Oscar that early gave them both a little overinflation. Uh, I don't know. That's just me. Oh, I, no arguments here. I, 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 I think if you're going to go with a young up and coming writer, then give it to Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> like, yeah. What are you doing? What do you, the Boogie Nights screenplay. There is no, there is no other tier next to it. It's, 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 it's in its own like kind of realm. There's screenplays that are better than it or as good as it, but there's nothing like it. <laughs> and nothing like it even from Paul Thomas Anderson. And Goodwill Hunting, I've seen that movie before. <laughs> I've, seen yeah. that movie a f- I've seen that movie a few times. And while I love some of the delivery from Robin Williams, and I'm, I'm cool with some of the delivery from Damon and Affleck and the rest, the rest of the guys, you know, Casey and those, those cats, Cole Hauser, <laughs> but I, 
I don't see that screenplay as this kind of, oh my gosh, this one's really kind of changing the landscape or, you know, Boogie Nights is totally trying to do something totally different. And, and I like that they awarded Pulp Fiction. You know, I, I really like that they did that because I think it saw a, a serious, you know, commitment to something, something different, you know, mainstream, but different, you know, using movie stars, but different. And Boogie Nights is doing, is doing something similar where you have all these incredible, incredible people in one movie, yet it works, yet it floats, yet it, yet it moves like butter. It's, it's incredible. And for that, I think if you're going to give it to someone young, <laughs> I think PTA is the guy that should have gone with, but I'm, I'm totally fine with as good as it gets uh, taking the win there. Uh, and I'm also with you on full Monty uh, cool movie, uh, but, but I, I don't know about all the, all the Oscar stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it reminds me of like four weddings and a funeral. It's a, it's a sweet, funny movie, but does it really deserve to be here? Yes. And that, that's, that's one of the most frustrating things about looking back at these is like, okay, there's five spots. And if I, if me, who's seen on any given year in the nineties, whatever, you know, if I've seen 40 movies from 1997, if I can think of a movie that can fit this place better, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. Cause I, there's a lot that I haven't seen. There's, 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 there's so much from 1997 I haven't seen. And I think there's a lot of people who would be like, well, here's these five movies that are way different than these five that are way better. And I'm open. I'm open to that discussion. I'm open that to open to that debate. But if if I can, who who I'm not this, you know, I'm on a journey and I'm trying to watch a bunch of movies. But I, you know, I haven't seen hundreds from every year. So if I can, <laughs> if I can find a couple that should should replace, you know, a couple from your group, then yeah, you have work to do. You gotta you gotta watch more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely think that a movie that deserves this spot right here would be the game i mean you talk about well, well-constructed yeah. story right there's there. three there's three the game boogie nights jackie brown come on like well jackie three... brown was i'm talking screenplay still oh okay yeah 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 sorry i, I was mentioning uh best picture but yeah yeah i mean jackie brown should be all over the place here great movie yeah well jackie brown i am honestly surprised that wasn't up for adapted screenplay that I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> N- neither do I. Um, yeah. That's, you know, yeah, it's one of my favorite QTs. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you want to do supporting actress or supporting actor? Let's start with the actor first. Okay. This is a very cool group of people. We have Robert Forster for Jackie Brown, Anthony Hopkins for Amistad, Greg Kinnear for As Good As It Gets, Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights, and the winner, Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting. Uh, I have not seen Amistad, regrettably. Uh, yeah, that's the same. That's the only one I haven't seen <laughs> seen either. Yeah. I know I'd love that movie because of you know it's a biopic about a slave rebellion. Anthony <laughs> Hopkins plays John Quincy Adams. Like, why would I not love that movie? <laughs> it's Anthony Hopkins doing what he does like every couple of years, and he's really good at it. So yeah. <laughs> um, I I do not know with this group. Robin Williams is great in Goodwill Hunting, and his. His speech is so heartfelt. It's great to see him win, but I don't know. <laughs> There's any of these guys I feel like could have taken this, 
but I don't think Burt Reynolds should be the one from Boogie Nights who got nominated. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Go, uh, I, personally, before you get to what you're going to say, because there are a tremendous amount of good performances in Boogie Nights. I can't oh, wait yeah. to hear. I cannot wait to hear who you're going to say. But you know where my heart lies. Robert Forster, I think, should have won this Oscar uh, as Max Cherry. Mm-hmm. I think I think it is one of the most like subtly beautiful performances that I've ever seen. And it's it's a contained contained clinic within you know within this you know kind of bonker story that where the stakes are at this kind of weird level. Ah, you just you're just enticed enough, and it feels so real. And Max Cherry is this legendary character. Ah, man, yeah, I I really love what Forrester's doing. I th- I think that's the one. Uh, I think that's the one he should have should have won. Yeah, there's an argument for that for sure. Um, I just think Burt Reynolds was difficult the whole time. His performance ah, is very honed in. Like, I, uh, so Burt, Burt Reynolds, that's a, that's an interesting, interesting thing. I think, I think there's, a this, this huge, huge, you know, kind of friction between Paul Thomas Anderson and Burt Reynolds. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to figure, figure out what, is that, is that still here? And does that still last? You know, I did some research and I found some reviews and some, some interviews, sorry, and some some articles about it. And PTA says now this is this is what this is what he says. He said this on on a podcast that I I listened to a, a audio bit of, and he says that um that it was a three day f- like fight between them two. Shit. And he but then he says that the other fifty seven days were great, and he's like you can probably guess when it started getting kind of, kind of chippy. And he spoke about when there was, there was an actual moment when, you know, stuff is happening between Burt Reynolds and Mark Wahlberg that started to get a little, you know, started to get a little, little hot in there, a little sweaty. They're in the same house kind of over and over and they're, it's, they're starting to wrap this movie up. It's like, let's get the fuck out of here. We're ready to be done. We, you know, cause you know, the beginning of the movie, they're just they're filming all this crazy blah 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 blah, you know, party scenes and disco and fucking let's do coke. And then, you know, this last 45 minutes is the hangover, is you know, yeah, is the come down. Come back to come back to real life. And he spoke spoke about it, you know. This is just like three years ago that he spoke about this. And Burt Reynolds says that yes, there definitely was definitely was friction on, on the set there for a few days. But he also says that now the movie's pretty great. <laughs> well, I'm glad and, he came around. But no, there's, there is no hiding. When Burt Reynolds' name gets called at the Oscars, I, wa- I watched it this morning. I watched the whole fucking show. When his name gets called, he, he's not really into it. Um, he's kind of like, mm, or, all right, you know, kind of like, just a little simple wave. It's definitely not a role that in the moment he wanted any part of. He wasn't very proud of, you know, he definitely came close to firing his agent is what that's what the rumors were 
that because his agent was the one who was like, hey, man, you should do this movie, this role like it's this this Jackie Horn, you know, this <laughs> it's it's perfect for you. And uh, Jackie Horn, that's Big Lebowski, Jack Horner. <laughs> Isn't that great? Those two movies, they're a year apart. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think some of that stuff is what what, what makes a movie kind of kind of grind the way it does, though. Mm-hmm. and and whatever happened on set you know a lot of a lot of crazy stuff i'm sure happens uh, on all kinds of films i, I it probably helped the product <laughs> in the long run because you can feel it man in this movie you can feel these these actors kind of get sunken in and start kind of becoming these 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 characters and it gets gets real that's true that's true but i also read about Burt Reynolds only agreed to take this role after Paul Thomas Anderson assured him he'd be nominated for an Oscar. Uh, he sold his Golden Globe for about twelve grand. He didn't give a shit. I did read. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah, he did that right away. Yeah. So I feel like with all that, I just don't think he deserved this. I, I and I think his performance kind of doesn't match up to everyone else who really seemed to be giving it more. I feel Bert was only here because he had to be. I, I, I see. I definitely see what you're saying. In, it's definitely not one of one of the better performances. I totally agree with you, but there are moments in the film when he, good lord, he fits. Holy shit! Smoking the cigar, you know. Ah, Dirk Diggler. Like, yeah, I like it. You know, and just. He just makes sense that he would have this huge house and be working in the porn industry as this director. And yeah, I, but overall there's, there's definitely people kind of outshining him and you can, you can see, cause he's got a, he's got a little bit of a disdain for the, the character he's playing. Yeah, he really does. He, he, well, you know, Burt Reynolds is from a different time. He's yes. You know, he came up in the seventies and sixties. He kind of known for his, you know, mannish tough guy roles and i can see how taking the role of jack horner would be a you know he would consider it to be beneath him and consider oh, this yeah to be kind of you know gross kind of you know slumming but i don't think anyone else felt that like I, everyone else seems to be embracing this as a well-constructed story that just happens to be about the porn industry I feel like yes. Burt Reynolds thought he was doing a porno. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think there, there's, you know, there's all kinds of you know stories you can find about like what ifs with Boogie Nights, and apparently Leo was the first guy they wanted to play Dirk Diggler, play Eddie Adams, mm. and Leo was like, "Oh, I'm already doing Titanic, so sorry." And they wanted Joaquin Phoenix, and Joaquin was like, "I don't want to be a part of you know a movie where I got to be nude and stuff like that." And yeah, it's definitely you know. Not everybody. It's not in everybody's bag. <laughs> well, one of the guys who they offered the role of Jack Horner to was Sidney Pollack. Yes, who I thought yes. would have been way better. He I, does, I agree. I I've agree. seen in a lot of the films I've seen of his, he does like he he has this kind of secret sleazy side. I could totally see him running a a, a porn shoot. I don't know. Just I think about. What I agree. Happened. I agree. No, I yeah. I think I I think Bert is is in there you know, in that supporting actor category, you know, 
he's going against, you know, he's going against his type. And I, I think people are kind of shocked by it, but in the long run, yeah, I, I don't think he's totally winning and going for that award. There are four actors in this movie who I think should have taken that spot. Here we go. John C. Riley, Don Cheadle, William H. Macy, or Alfred Molina. Any of those guys, totally well-deserved. PSH? And PSH, my mistake. <laughs> that, I'm, a, I, yeah, I'm totally fine with all of those guys. Oh man, that's it's quite a group, you know. When you when you look down the line of Boogie Nights, you look down the line of people that pop up in it, people that just kind of are there with you the whole time, like John C. Riley yeah. as Reed, as Reed Rothschild. Oh my gosh, the scene where he, you know, it's 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 part of the Hangover. You know, shit's just getting getting kind of starting to turn, and they're at the uh, at the studio, and the the producer says to John C. Riley's character, Reed, he's like, that sounds like a YP, not an MP. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know all this industry mumbo jumbo. <laughs> YP MP is. Oh man. Just these actors, they buy in. John C. Riley also has a bit where he just, Todd Parker. He just screams the name. And all of a sudden, this character now, it doesn't matter. We don't need to know anything. They don't need to say anything of any intelligence ever. But just because of the way John C. Riley delivered, as Reed delivered, screaming that name, it just works. And I, I, I love stuff like that. And I think a lot of these actors totally get it. And Don Cheadle is another guy who so much understands what, what PTA is trying to do and the way the way Don Cheadle's able to kind of kind of maneuver around this movie with with a little kind of like main screen time he does, but maneuver where his storyline is one of the ones you kind of care about the most. It's pretty pretty amazing. Um, I yeah, I very much love Buck. He's he's a cool cool character. One thing I do think we have to keep in mind though, and I I am guilty of this constantly is we got to remember this was 1997. Burt Reynolds was kind of the only person here who was anybody. That's true. That's true. Everyone else was up and comers, you know? I mean, William H. Macy had the Fargo nomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Julianne Moore was really starting to take off. But the rest of these guys, like, this was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Like, who the hell was, you know, this was Mark Wahlberg trying to be an actor? And, you know, Don Cheadle had, like, a couple episodes of ER or something, like, most of these people were nobody and now they're huge stars. And it's kind of cool to think about that. Like there's, there was a time where none of these guys, like they would, they were willing to risk everything to do a movie about porn. Cause they had nothing. Like What career? Like, I don't know. I just, it's cool to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely is. It's, it's a set. I, really wish i could have been on because yeah i mean you look at one corner and there's there's ricky jay and philip baker hall and and burt reynolds and then you look over yeah you got young psh and mark Wahlberg and john c Riley and nicole ari parker and heather graham and like what's happening here (laughs) who are all these kind of just 
who are all these beautiful people, you know, what's going on. And, and yet to be a part of that, I'm sure was, was really cool. And then of course the guy at the helm is also in, in the middle of trying to become, become a star himself. And it, all of these things play a factor into Boogie Nights. And it's, it's so cool. You can see it all. I think it takes a few times to kind of watch it. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. this isn't just a movie just like about porn stars. This isn't just, this is, this is damn good filmmaking. Yeah. And damn good storytelling and makes you really interested in all the, all the little characters. You, you really care about everyone. Well, there was, there's so few films that talk about this, that talk about yes. porno as a legitimate career for some people, as a way of life for a lot of people. This is, you know, who they are in many ways. I think that's the big lesson about this movie is everyone who tries to escape this can't. <laughs> they always come back. And it's just, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a giant bear trap. Once you're in, like, you're fucking stuck. Like, this is it. But he, Paul Thomas Anderson uses the glamour and the, and the, you know, the glitter to draw you into this, you know, to this world that looks like it's no rules and whatever you want. You're a movie star by fucking people on camera. That's who you are. And we get to see this through Mark Wahlberg's eyes, through Dirk Diggler as, you know, just some busboy and becoming a superstar. It's all through his eyes. And I love that we get to see how amazing it is and then how fucking detrimental it is after he loses it. It's, it's the perfect guy to follow for this story. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of Paul Thomas Anderson's best gifts as a filmmaker is he, he still knows, you know, this guy is like a massive fan of treasure, of the Sierra Madre, you know, he knows where the most interesting plot line probably is. I think he is very stylish, you know, has, has a very unique, you know, just, you know, distinct style, but, but I think he does do something fundamentally like a lot of filmmakers do and is that they, they pick, they pick the most, interesting perspective yeah and when you pick a perspective of of eddie adams coming into the golden age of pornography in hollywood through the late 70s into the early 80s fuck yeah i mean same thing that goodfellas does fuck yeah i want to follow this dude are you kidding me like that's that's some like super gritty american shit yes i want to see it same thing same thing with boogie nights with this this pornography era in you know in in uh california you're like yeah i i would love to see a movie <laughs> just kind of just kind of spotlighting people's lives well i noticed like with this most recent watch this was my third watch yeah that this film really moves like a scorsese movie 100 percent, yeah it's like for i think you brought up goodfellas but i think raging bull is the one that mirrors it the most yeah so weird the like the trajectory of jake lamada and Eddie Adams matches pretty damn close. It's so weird. And I think it's just, you know, it's an early Tom, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson's his second movie. So he's still, you know, he's emulating the greats. He's building off of what he loves and putting his own spin on it. We talked about that when we did the, the, uh, the little things on the sneak preview, how it's important yes. for filmmakers to find themselves. And yes, this is him. This is Paul Thomas Anderson finding himself. It's, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it's also, 
so 90s. It's so like, uh, I'm bored with this, what's happening now. So let's talk about a story from the past in America. And like, that's what a lot of films, filmmakers were doing, you know, reminds me a little bit of, of Dazed Confused, where it's like, let's just take a look back at a specific place. And that will be interesting because we're going to a specific place like Austin, Texas, a specific place like, you know, being in San Fernando Valley in California, watching these, these people just try to make it, try to live their life uh, in, in the way that they have been presented. <laughs> and I love that. I love that Boogie Nights is as simple as it is, but also as complex in dark. Yeah. Yes. How dark and complex it is in, in these kind of, you know, overbearing conversations that could be had constantly throughout the movie. Uh, I mean, right away, you know, the first time you watch it, you know, little Bill, William H. Macy's character becomes really fascinating. And right away you see his life sucks like right away. And so you should see his future coming. You should see his trajectory coming, you know, later on. Yeah. Um, And when it does, it just kind of bites you in the ass and, you know, really kind of turns, kind of turns the movie as they go into the eighties little bill does what he does at the new year's party and then the movie gets dark yeah you know it's when yeah that reminds you that this is not a happy fantasy land this is the last resort like you need to people they need to remind you of that that you should not want to, to be a porn star it's i just that's that's at least the vibe i got it was like you've seen the shiny side. Now you get to see what it's really like. What, what, it de- what it definitely can do if you uh, are in it too long and with the wrong people. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's people who have had successful, safe, you know, pornography uh, careers. I'm sure. Well, now, sure, but like in the seventies. But this, yeah, yes, exactly. This is this is when you know, not a lot of people knew what exactly was was going to come in the eighties uh, and into the nineties, and you know, this this movie is about about a guy who, who a guy he was a porn star, this like giant guy who apparently was called Big John Wad. I think his name was John C. I, I can't remember what his name was. John, John C. Holmes, something. Right? Yeah, John C. Holmes. Yeah, there we that's go. This, yeah, it's about John Holmes. And the yeah, that's that. That's who it's like based off of Boogie Nights, and he apparently had this giant, giant cock, and was this huge, huge dude that everybody had a bunch of different nicknames for. And at one point, he, you know, he he got AIDS, and this guy had this really strange, bizarre kind of like roller coaster life, and it's certainly interesting to look at and watch. But like you said, you you always a good filmmaker will remind you, uh, remind you of the consequences, remind you of the, of the decisions that have been made. And I, I love when PTA reminds you of those. He, he sometimes does them in a very harsh way. <laughs> there was a biopic about John Holmes and the Wonderland murders made in 03 called Wonderland that I've always wanted yeah. to see Val Kilmer plays John Holmes. Yeah, no, I definitely want to see that to kind of pair with this. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy fucking story. I listened to a podcast about that. <laughs> it's just, so many people making horrible decisions and just culminating in, in so much death. It's, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's scary. So, 
Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> I think we're um, you're with Robert Forster, and I'm with probably whoever else would have been nominated from Boogie Nights. <laughs> I like that. I like that answer. <laughs> Best Supporting uh, Actress. Let's do this. Joan Cusack for In and Out. Minnie Driver for Goodwill Hunting. Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights. Gloria Stewart for Titanic. And the winner, Kim Basinger for L.A. Confidential. Crazy. I fucking love L.A. Confidential. Hell yeah. So glad it won. Uh, won the other screenplay, you know. That and Goodwill Hunting was a... That's a cool one, too. Yeah, for sure. I have not seen In and Out. Uh fucking same dude but i've seen the other four we've been we've been the exact same here <laughs> yep um so kim basinger and la confidential i don't think she deserved this i think she's kind of a little bland if anything she's channeling way too much chinatown faye dunaway yeah uh, <laughs> i think that this absolutely should have been julianne moore's first oscar yeah no, hands down. I don't. There's not a whole lot I even need to say about what she's doing as Amber Waves. You know, just fan, fantastic stuff. She has the darkest, saddest story in this movie, and she plays it all believably, the good and the bad and the ugly. And uh, yeah, she's just fantastic. And this was, you know, one of her early films that really catapulted her career. I think uh, she followed this with The Big Lebowski, which I love, and. Uh, yeah, I just think that she deserved it for the strength of her performance. Uh, Mini Driver and Go to Hunting, kind of forgettable. Gloria Stewart and Titanic, of all, I don't know why. So, yeah, I, I, I would, Julianne Moore, I think, has the strongest here, and I don't know why she didn't win. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Gloria Stewart, Titanic. This is the first time Titanic's been properly brought up. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> Enough said. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's not bad. It's not a bad movie. But when it's stacked up against some of the other films that have won Best Picture, some of some of the other ones, you know, like like pretty much any of the ones from the seventies. Um, I think like there's a couple in the eighties, probably Amadeus being one of them. I just don't think it even comes close or compares. I think it's in, I think it's in this kind of weird no man's land as far as quality best picture winners. It's kind of like, eh, it's fine. It's not terrible. It's not as bad as driving this Daisy or anything like that, but it's kind of somewhere in that middle. Eh, you know, it's fine. I feel like Titanic would have been leagues better if they'd actually told anybody else's story. Who, like maybe, you know, any of the passengers who were actually on that ship told their story, their perspective, instead of making up this fake love story, I think it would have been better. I, I, yeah, I think that this definitely should have taken all the technical stuff. I think technically this film is amazing, but it's not a very strong story. It does not need to be three hours. And I think at this point, it's kind of a joke. <laughs> It seems that way. It seems that way in, in, in a lot of circles. It seems like Titanic just gets kind of booted and kind of made fun of and, and whatnot. It's been a minute since I've sat down and watched the whole thing. I, we do 
do intend on doing a best picture showdown one day yeah on on and it'll be based around titanic and we'll we'll give out awards to titanic that'll happen one day not anytime soon <laughs> but but it'll happen and i love this show for that reason it's one of the biggest reasons i love that love this show is that you you're you're forced to watch the movie in a different way because you got to give awards out to it and you're like oh shit what's my what's my favorite part of this movie true you know what's my favorite performance and you know for boogie nights it just kind of whoa yeah it it, it becomes you know overwhelming because i already love the movie but like titanic is a movie that i eh, you know i have mixed feelings about so i love going into movies like that what can I find in this that I really like? And I, I think there's usually stuff there, you know, uh, you just got to, got to be a little bit more open-minded, but, but where I stand now, yeah. Titanic just, it's not really for me. Yeah. It's the highest grossing movie of all time for like yeah, years. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see it. I think that people got a little bit crazy about Titanic. Uh, I, I agree. It has been a, it's been a while since I sat down and gave it a shot. So maybe, you know, with this new mindset, Maybe I will enjoy Titanic a lot more than I have in the past. It, it, it also can backfire the other way. And you're <laughs> like, oh, shit, I don't, I don't like this at all. Sometimes that, you know, that, that can happen. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun going into movies like that and coming out the other way and just kind of like, oh, coming out on the other end. And you got a whole different perspective. It's cool. Are there any uh, awards you think Boogie Nights should have been up for? Of course, uh, I director, uh, cinematography, best picture. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think kind of across the board. I, I think people were too scared, you know, at the time, and I think this happens a lot. Where you don't want to throw too much at one thing. Well, oh, is it too early to give this twenty-seven-year-old, this guy who made this movie, all, all this acclaim? I just think when we look back, Boogie Nights is one of the most impressive movies from 1997 across the board. Yeah, I agree. I think it should have been up for, uh, if anything, production design. Yeah, I mean, look at yeah, look at look at our our club, the clubs, just the the house. Forget it. Yeah, it's um, it's a gem for sure, and I think it took a while for people to really appreciate that. I think you know, be, for obvious reasons, I'm sure this had a bit of a stigma around it. People didn't want to say, you know, oh, I love Boogie Nights because it's basically openly saying you love porn, which people do now all the time. But you didn't say that in the 90s. <laughs> you didn't yeah, admit that yeah. to people in the 90s. Yeah, I, I definitely love Boogie Nights. And I don't know if I I don't know if I if I spoke about it earlier or not. But before we you know jump into these awards here, which is going to be a lot of fun, <laughs> I, you know, I want to say the first time I watched this uh remember it like it was yesterday first time i watched boogie nights was with my two older brothers and we had kind of kind of heard that oh this movie's really good it's not it's not what you think sort of thing you know don't don't just look at the movie poster like no this is like a really good good movie so we you know we're like all right let's rent it i remember we rented on amazon and we're like let's you know let's check this out see what's up and it was two, it was 2015. I remember it was it was during the summer. We were, us three were hanging out at home at my parents' house, and you know, so I would have been 20 at this time. And it just it went by like 15 minutes. You know, it it went by like nothing. And I was like, oh man, you know. And we immediately, you know, by the by the by the ending, I was just kind of enthralled by it. And 
I, I just wanted more. I was like, is there, is there anything else like this <laughs> that I can watch? And the answer is no. <laughs> you know, you are going to have to just go ahead and rewatch Goodfellas or, or rewatch, you know, stuff like that. Like we were mentioning <clears throat> it, it had, it had, it had a pull on me very, very early. And I definitely at that time, definitely was like, I like boogie nights, but I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to come out and say that that was one of my favorite movies right away to someone I was just meeting. But now I don't give a shit. Uh, I, I stand very firmly as to why I like it. And, and then that, that has to do exactly with what we're about to talk about, which is these awards. I think we're going to be able to kind of both explain our fandom through these awards. And, and that's, that's a really cool place, cool place to go. So we got the, uh, we got the Tarantino for best quote or best line. We got the Ennio Morricone for best music moment. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance. And we have the Roger Deakins for best scene or best moment of the movie. Connor, take it away with your Tarantino. Okay. I have three. <laughs> I love it. I, I just, I yeah. mean, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah. This is a film that has some of the most outrageous, unforgettable dialogue I've ever seen. And uh, all three of these come from the same scene. <laughs> uh, perfect. Okay. So it's a good bit of dialogue. I love it. Here we um, go. It's all from Jack's pool party. The first time Eddie goes to meet Jack and his friends. I'm in. I'm in. My first one comes from when he meets Reed Rothschild and Rothschild just randomly says, you ever see that movie Star Wars? People tell me I look like Han Solo. <laughs> I love it specifically Genius. because he mispronounces it. He says yeah, Han. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that is it. And that, that happens over and over again in this, this, uh, this movie. You'll hear Words that get misplaced. William H. Macy does it in the most fine fashion of all time, talking to Ricky Jay. Yeah. Yep. And that is actually my second. <laughs> Go ahead. So little Bill comes out to around the parking lot to see his wife fucking a guy and everyone just kind of standing around watching. And he's like, what the fuck? And she's like, fuck off. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Little Bill. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky Jay comes up to talk to him about the production and ask him about the photography and is like hey come on man like what's up and he goes <laughs> I, I i'm pretty sure this was a, a fuck up that let that stayed in the movie yes which is just great uh <laughs> little bill says my fucking wife has an ass in her cock in the driveway kurt i'm sorry my thoughts are not on the photography of the film we're shooting tomorrow <laughs> it's fucking perfect <laughs> and, and, and Ricky Jay is just kind of like, all right, man. And then, and then William H. Macy walks away and Ricky Jay starts walking over to watch his wife getting, getting nailed. What's happening? Oh man. And you're not the setting, the setting of this, you're not at this. It's a nice house. It's a really nice house. It's a cool house, but it's just the right amount of nice. It's not, it's not insane. It's not like this huge, crazy, crazy mansion. It's believable, man. You believe these stakes. Not just believable, it seems attainable. And that's yes. a big part of it. Oh. <laughs> um, and then my third comes from the first meet between Eddie and the Colonel. And the way the Colonel introduces himself 
or says hello to Eddie is, I look forward to seeing you in action. Jack says you got a great big cock. <laughs> it's just so casual, this universe, this world, where it's just that's how you introduce yourself to produ- porn producers. You just zip it down. <laughs> that's your handshake. <laughs> so- yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so funny. It's so funny how how they treat the cock like 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 it's its its own person like when he first does his bit with amber waves when dirk diggler and amber waves go at it for the first time and she's like (laughs) she i mean this is in detail she's like you know i want you to come inside me and he's like okay and then you got little bill and jack talking and he's like what we 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 missed the cum shot. He came inside of her. What are we gonna do? We go, should we go to some stock footage or something? And Jack's like, "Are you fucking kidding? It won't match." <laughs> like, there's dialogue and actual words written down and, and to be said just around his his penis, and it's it's like a it's like an actual character in this movie. But but it's not but it's not like funny. It is on the surface, but it's not. <laughs> It very much is like an asset to these people. Yeah. Dirk, Dirk Diggler and, and his features become, you know, it's my 17, you know, 17 year old piece of gold, you know, like that's how they see him and what he has. And it's, it's pretty mind boggling how funny some of the dialogue is just about the happenings (laughs) with Dirk Diggler. It's crazy. Well, that's pretty much, you know, that's how the porn industry is really. I mean, it's yep it's based mostly around women like women it's the you know the whole body has to look great with men all you need is the dick like the rest of you can look like dog shit we look at ron jeremy one of the ugliest motherfuckers in the world huge dick (laughs) that's all you need to know about the porn industry right there (laughs) huge dick yeah that no it's 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 funny man it's it's funny how how this movie just just how well it operates and how funny it is while, while being so committed to its actual content, (laughs) what's actually happening. So yeah, I love it. That, that whole, that whole scene, the first time we go to Jack's house and everybody's just kind of there. It's just, you can't look away. No, no, you can't. What is your Tarantino? My Tarantino comes in the in the thick of the film here. It'd be be when things are going going real well for for everyone for for Dirk, for Jack, uh, for Amber, for for Roller Girl, everybody, and Ricky Jay. It's another time when he's involved. Uh, and Ricky Jay, I cannot right now remember his character's name, uh, but he, you know, he's does a lot of the camera work, a lot of the editing uh, with with. The, the pornography films they're making and he you know at one point is in the room with jack and they're talking and you know they're like we got we got some stuff here like <laughs> and this isn't just you know you're running the mill porn like we, i think we we got a real thing going on here and and jack says says to him you know burt reynolds and just this is one of this is one of those moments where i think he was actually locked in as jack horner he says you know this is the film I want them to remember me by. And you have Paul Thomas Anderson writing that down. 
And I, I, I got to think when I hear that from an actor and it's, you know, delivered by this Burt Reynolds legend, but it's written down by this young dude who's making his second feature film. And that comes out of that guy's mouth, that like legend's mouth, the most renowned dude in your whole cast. And he says that like, he's kind of speaking for Paul Thomas Anderson as the filmmaker in, you know, he's the director in the movie. It's a very interesting part of the movie where, ah, things are going well. This, this is really good. In the moment, this is really good. And you might change your mind later on. You might feel differently. And obviously, he begins to, you know, detest Eddie Adams, detest Dirk Diggler. Uh, as Dirk Diggler starts to become a total, you know, cokehead and a complete dick. And Jack, you know, is like, no, nah, man, fuck this guy. So in this moment, when he says, you know, this is the film I want them to remember me by, I think in whatever field it's in, in filmmaking, I think a lot of people have said that as creators. They yeah. think like, they think like, this is the one, this is my best work. This right here is my favorite. And, yeah. and I, I, I love that. I love that that's put into the screenplay and it's said by fucking Burt Reynolds. <laughs> it is wild to hear, you know, I immediately jumped in Glorious Bastards, the, the closing shot of Brad Pitt saying, you know what, Udovich, this may just be my masterpiece. It's, mm-hmm. I love that kind of self-awareness. And I didn't think about it like that, but yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's really insightful. <laughs> oh, I love, <clears throat> like you said, there really are a lot of just like kind of zingers, like a lot of bangers, just really good, funny quotes in this movie. And a lot of it comes from that moment at Jack's house. I mean, the first time you're seeing everybody, it's just one after the other. It's just so funny. And, and I, I think as you get into the movie, there, there's also some really good stuff. And it takes a, it takes a couple of rewatches, you know, and I'm really glad you got to see this. You said for the third time, I'm, I'm really glad you got to, you know, experience it in this way. Yeah. My second time was for the PSH episode. And there you my go. first was a long time ago by myself with, uh, cause I had a huge, still do huge crush on Heather Graham. Uh, yeah, of course. Found out she was in a movie about porn. and was like, I'm going to watch that right now. And I was not disappointed. You were like, oh, this is a crazy movie. <laughs> I did not watch it for the right reasons, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Open up to a whole different world. Yeah, you didn't know what you're signing up for. Um, this, this next award actually might be the most difficult. <laughs> this was very uh, tough. Uh, the, the Ennio Morricone is dedicated. We, we do this award and always dedicated to our favorite music moment, needle drop or, you know, piece of score soundtrack whatever it is and this movie specifically like to me has the best soundtrack that we've covered we've done some movies that have good scores uh have good soundtracks you know like back to the future is one that pops out right away that's like oh yeah there's some there's some fucking zingers on there too but boogie nights without the soundtrack is just not what it is (laughs) It, it it's it's a character in itself and propels each scene like over and over and over and over when you when you see the colonel for the first time you got spill the wine like all those little uh, things those little needle drops bang 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 that's the scorsese coming out just like yep fucking throwing daggers like left and right like look at me go and it's not just that it's 
why you can compare that to Scorsese. It's not just a guy filming people walking into a room with music playing. It's a guy filming, you know, from way behind tracking shot comes up closer and then swings it around them to where now we're facing them and going into a club and you're like, Oh my God, I'm in. (laughs) I'm just, I'm in where I'm in good hands. And I I love that. And just like Goodfellas and a lot of Scorsese's work, the music reflects the time we go from, you know, seventies to the eighties and we, the music soundtrack reflects the tone of the times. And it is just a fucking fantastic bunch of songs. It really is perfection, the soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And how it gets kind of like... I'll save it. Well, no, it kind of gets like... There's a couple of like borderline annoying 80s songs (laughs) because the movie's going to that kind of like, oh, you don't want to be here. <laughs> you don't want to be in this zone listening to this song with these people. Ah, like I love, I love that. That touch is so cool. Why don't you go first on this one? <sighs> I had to, you, oh man, I, I, I wrote this down right before we started recording. I, I, I tr- truly don't know. I'll change my mind tomorrow probably, <laughs> but where my heart just kind of came back to was best of my love the emotions that would be that would be the intro song to this this film when you see the boogie boogie nights and the camera goes you know boogie nights goes kind of to the side and then we're going onto the street into the club and we're just kind of in this world right away just you just kind of get dumped in there's no if ands or buts there's no no questions nothing happens you just get dumped in and that song is is a lie. It's a fucking lie is what it is because you're, you're being set up. You're being set up for just a a roller coaster of events. And that song is like, Oh, this is going to be a fun, like disco movie. All right. Like, yeah, here we go. No, it's like, it's not that, you know, it's much better than that, (laughs) but it's not that. And, and I, I think that decision, you know, best of my love by the emotions is just a, a really good decision. You know, filmmaking is a lot of decisions happening at once. And I think most of his music decisions, PTA, cause he, you know, likes to make a lot of those moves when it comes to the music and movies. I, I, I think he made a lot of not just good, but right decisions and yeah. best, best of my love is one of those straight up with this soundtrack, especially with that song, this film becomes a siren lulling you into the rocks you with this beautiful you know this awesome upbeat soundtrack not you know with you completely unaware that you are sinking yes <laughs> yes exactly before you before you know it you're an hour and 20 minutes into the movie and you're like oh shit yeah i was tired when i put this on i wasn't tired halfway through the movie <laughs> Ex- exactly that's exactly right that's happened to me so many times ah god <laughs> Ah, it's fantastic. What's your what's your inyo? I knew it before I put the movie on. It's a scene that stayed with me since the first time I watched it because of how fucking ridiculous it is and just how it represents like how far the mighty have fallen. And it's Dirk Diggler in a booth singing, You got the touch so out of key. And it's played like it's like that he's doing something so badass and he can't fucking sing. <laughs> he's trying so hard to still be famous. 
And it's so funny because that song is so cheesy. And I, oh, it's just, it's perfect. It's a perfect scene with just a terrible song being sung even worse. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's my, it, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Because <laughs> it reads and the, the power. Like, this, man. Like, yeah, it's, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that whole part of the movie, that music part. Have you listened to those tapes, man? There's gold on here. <laughs> we are guaranteed a record deal, okay? Oh, you, 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 you got to give us the tapes so that we can t- take them to the record company. They're waiting on us. <laughs> oh, my God. What Coke does to the mind, man. <laughs> oh, man. That whole excellent choice. Yeah. You got the touch. Dun, dun. Oh man. It's, the best part is that he can't fucking hold a tune to save his life. He's and this is like take seven. <laughs> Mark Mark Wahlberg is damn good in this movie. And that, that's that's one of his best stretches in the movie is when he's just spiraling. Like oh my god. What's happening? And when he's screaming at the he's screaming at the producer, like, have you seen? Have you listened to these tapes? <laughs> oh my god. You mentioned Leo being like the original choice. I don't think it would have worked as well. I think Mark oh, Wahlberg no. has this arrogance about him that just works for Dirk Diggler. He needs to be a dick you're rooting for. I, I totally agree. I don't, yeah, I think Leo would have done some scenes very, very well. Yeah. And would have acted the like he would have gone for it. But I think Mark Wahlberg just fits exactly what, what, what this movie's what this movie's going for. And I think it I think it works that he's not like classically trained as an actor, you know, Mark yeah. Wahlberg, it, 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 because this character is not classically trained. It, it just works, just fits. Well, Mark Wahlberg throughout his career is always doing his best work when he's playing like just spiraling self-destructive characters. And Boogie Nights is maybe the pinnacle of that. I know he's kind of ashamed of this movie now, which is weird, but he should be proud. He really should be. Yeah, man. I mean, hell of a way to start off a career, especially after you were a shitty rapper. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really shitty. Yeah, His whole career makes no fucking sense to me, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely one of those that's like, oh, this is really interesting to look at now after 30 years of just bizarre, bizarre things happening over and over. And now he's now he's a full blown movie star. Yeah, who'd have thought? You told me in like 1994 that that was going to happen. I would have told you to go fuck yourself. Yeah, get the hell out of here. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> All right. Now we come to the, for me, which was the most difficult one, uh, PSH. Ah, <laughs> oh, the PSH. You know, of course, Philip Seymour Hoffman is here. He, yeah. is some, he is someone who could win this award as Scotty J. Uh, of course, rest in peace to him. We, we love that guy. And he's just doing so many cool things in this movie. He's he's not he's not my choice, uh, but but I'll start. I actually think we might have chosen the same person, even though there's there's all these people you could choose from. Something tells me that there's a right answer here, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I think it's Julianne Moore as Amber Waves. That's my choice for the PSH. What what do, what do you have? I don't have Julianne Moore. I'm very curious. I, all right, so for the longest time, 
up until a couple hours ago, I had Thomas Jane. Oh man. Yeah. He's, he's insane. Yeah. He's insane in this movie. And then I watched Heart Eight, and I realized a certain actor's incredible range that people do not talk about enough. And I picked John C. Riley as Reed. Rock. As Reed. Yes. Oh, good call. I love it. Oh, Good John call. C. Riley is one of the most talented character actors working today, and we do not talk about that enough. The guy has an incredible range that just, God, he should be so, the, the director she's worked with, man, it's amazing. And PTA brings something out in him that no other filmmaker does. And I love his, you know, I love Step Brothers to death, but I also love that he can do stuff like this and excel and stand out. And that's amazing. So that was my rationale. A little bit of shake, a little bit of bake. <laughs> John sees the man. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I'm okay with that. The reason I think Julianne Moore has 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 the biggest task here. Oh yeah. And if that's a if that's a different actress who doesn't who doesn't pull it off, this movie could be just like ruined. And specifically with that character, because you you got these high octane, high octane scenes where she is, oh, let's go on a walk. You know, I don't ever want to go outside, you know, and I'm your mom. Yeah. You know, just kind of like, whoa, this, what's happening here. And then, and then there's, there's the scene where she has to, you know, appear in the movie for the first time in this full on get up, you know, in a full like, you know, she's wearing like a jacket and a little a dress and here she is in front of her ex-husband talking about custody of her son, you know, yeah. and she like shatters me in that, that moment. And that, the, 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 that's the moment in this movie that kind of scares me the most where I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. That scene's coming. Here we go. And that's when, that's when, you know, you're, you're about to be kind of challenged as like a, as a viewer. And yeah. she does she does that to me time and time again. She's another person. Her, you know, PSH and John C. These people, these people in PTA, it's a dream. It's a dream, a match made in heaven sort of thing. And I love that you shout out John C. Riley because yeah, he just did, he'll he'll never get his proper due. Um, sucks. It very much sucks because. What he does in Magnolia is like on a whole whole nother level, and that's that's something I will definitely talk about whenever we get to do that episode one day uh, on Magnolia because he he's wonderful in that. I I love that call, man. I love this award, the PSH. We usually yeah. we usually are spot on, or or it's yeah, it's or it's different like this. I really thought you were gonna go for Julianne. We spoke of her so highly uh, <laughs> earlier. She she she's wonderful, but John C is such a good pick. He. Guys like him, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the way he just screams Todd Parker. Like those little things are so necessary for the character introduction to work. And John C. does it over and over and over again. Uh, I, I love the way he talks with uh, him and Don Cheadle when they're talking about magic. And he's like, Don Cheadle's like, do you ever get scared like dealing with those evil forces? And he's like, what? No, man, it's just an illusion. Yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> incredible he just kind of bounces around dealing with everybody uh and there's a movie there that i think is really interesting a movie about his character you know um he's the guy who chases dirk diggler as he runs away after freaking out like that character is really interesting to me i, I love that pick man 
Well, Reed Rothschild is very much a parasite. He doesn't have an identity of his own. I mean, everything he talks about, he's one up, he one ups people and then latches on to people. That's what he does. He's a very interesting character. And I do think, you know, John C. Riley's one of the unsung heroes of this film for making that character real, making him believable. Yes. Uh, yeah, fucking great. I, this cast is so diverse and so fascinating that really anybody could have taken this. Uh, except Burt Reynolds, in my opinion. But yeah. most of them <laughs> could have. It's, yeah. Hell, yeah, even Luis Guzman, who's like the entire time just like wanting to be in the movies. He's like, come on, I'm a, the Latin lover. Like, I could, you know, that's what I could be. He's doing that the entire movie, all, you know, whatever, six, seven years that we cover. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Great stuff. Yeah, I, I this is why we do these awards. You know, you just get to kind of dive in and talk about what you love most about it. And here, here we are at the at the Roger Deakins Award. What do you, what, what is your favorite best whatever however you see it what's your deacons connor for for boogie nights a very difficult movie to choose this for i have a feeling we might have the same one on this okay maybe maybe this is the one we have the same yeah it's the scene with rahad and the firecrackers going to rahad's house to rob him (laughs) 100 percent. i don't think there's any ifs ands or buts about this one that's for sure uh it's the best scene in the whole movie no doubt Alpha yeah. Melina comes in. If he was in, and if he was in it, just to like a little bit more, which is not the point. He would win the PSH. That guy. I don't know. I don't know who got in his ear about playing. I love how uh, uh, Thomas Jane says his name's Rayhead Jackson. <laughs> Rayhead. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> he says that he's all fucked up. He's sweating. They're at a table planning this fucking insane ridiculous you know robbery what are y'all thinking you know bring, bringing baking soda over here as as it's you know thinking it's going to be drugs and and they go into this house and that's when it becomes a full-on martin scorsese movie <laughs> it's amazing it uh, it could be a short film like that could be the whole movie is them trapped in rayhad jackson's house thomas jane is fucking amazing in this scene like he He's another guy who never gets his due. He's a ama- we he's came always- to, we came here to do something. We're gonna do something. <laughs> now he went to that room. He went to the bedroom. <laughs> and, crazy. And John, John C. Riley. He's like doing the right amount of putting his palms on his on his knees and just kind of sweating it out. And and Mark Wahlberg when when you get that that shot looking straight into his face and he just like sees everything we just saw. Yeah. And you're like. Uh, like what have I? What's happening? The you little know? bits. <laughs> oh man! Of like Melina being like, shush, shush, I love this part. As yeah. the music, like as Night Ranger tunes up, and he's just like, yeah, <laughs> he does the air guitar. What's your yeah? And, and, Who is and this Jesse, guy? <laughs> Jesse's girl comes on. He's like, hold on, I love this song. He's like, I make these mixtapes. You know, I I think this is number eleven. <laughs> and then and then Cosmo, the guy who's just throwing fucking firecrackers at the ground and he's like oh that's cosmo sorry he's chinese like what (laughs) what a brilliant way to build tension just have a dude in the background chucking firecrackers (laughs) so you get that boom every few seconds fucking brilliant yeah Yeah. Uh, and all these guys are are tweaking because they haven't had a fix in a while they haven't done any any drugs in a minute so they're all tweaking and so 
And they, they kind of put you in that place as, as an audience member, no matter what state you're in, just because of the noises and the tension. And this guy's like, you guys want to play baseball? <laughs> you want to, you want to like smoke some meth, snort some Coke. You want, what do you want to do, man? You know, he's like, Oh, you want to see something fascinating? And he just pulls out this massive revolver, like it, yeah, puts it up to his own head. Like fuck, Alfred Molina, just like perfect, perfect. It's like jaws. It's like, Oh my God, what a finale. We got to see this insane, scary dude for just the right amount of time. And then, Molina, and, then it's, and then that's it. Alfred Molina is one of my all-time favorites. I adore him to death. He's one of my favorite character actors. I am Every time I see him in a cast list, I'm like, I'm watching that movie immediately because he always kills it and has never been fully appreciated. And I'm, this is such a great bit and like when he comes when he shoots uh when he kills todd and just like is screaming come on you puppies as he's chasing dirk and reed out of the house like what the fuck who is this guy like this isn't this is an average tuesday for this dude (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty it's it's pretty remarkable and how it kind of just continually changes pace this movie and how it pivots and pivots and just again moves kind of like nothing else i I think obviously we've brought up martin scorsese a lot but i still think there's just this tremendous amount of originality yeah and style just oozing out of it and for this to be the the final kind of final scene of it before before dirt goes back to you know runs back to jack's arms this was such a reward as a just a viewer of this movie. It was oh my gosh, you, you get this insane kind of shootout that again is just just the right amount of time. I just I thought the first time I saw that I was I was blown away, and now when I watch it, I'm just at this point I'm waiting for that scene to come. I'm like, here we go, like let's get to Mr. Jackson's house. Like I'm ready to just see this insanity unfold. I love it so much, Boogie Nights there are a lot of a lot of moments that someone could pick out but i i just think that's the most impressive scene in the whole film yeah hell yeah and that is really saying something uh there's a lot of scenes in this film that could have almost yeah. gotten there but there's this one scene is so um this well constructed and the tension is perfect the characters all pop and it's it's just flawless. yep <laughs> yes it's yeah, it's 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 pretty much perfect, man. And good lord, I <clears throat> I had I had a lot of fun here just talking about a movie that's not only something I respect and see as a pretty important movie in modern American filmmaking. I I think it is really really fun to watch, <laughs> and and it's like an absolute blast. Not I'll I'll, I'll I'll probably never stop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, personally, I, I have had it at an eight for a very long time, but this viewing just something else clicked and, uh, I, I pushed it to a nine. Very nice. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely a 10. There's a few of those in Paul Thomas Anderson's, uh, filmography for me. I, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for this guy. And this was the first movie we got to do of his and it won't be the last. It'll be a minute before we come back to him, but it will not be the last time uh, we talk about PTA and 
you know, talk about this, this era, this kind of mid to late nineties. Cause it's when you and I were born and it's uh, you know, we we're both born in 95. So it, it's an important time for you and I, because we like looking back at what was happening and it turns out a lot of cool shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what do we got going on next week? <clears throat> next week, we're going to be doing a fifties film. It's been a minute, you know, since uh, we we've gone, we've gone, you know, gone way back. We did Moonlight last week, you know, talking about a 90s, 90s film here with Boogie Nights. So we're going to go back to the 50s, uh, 1952, High Noon, a film I've never gotten to see. Uh, the main thing I'm, uh, you know, chose it for is Gary Cooper. This is a guy I really want to study. He's a dude who won an Oscar here for this, this film. So really excited to kind of base the episode around that film and Gary Cooper himself. Uh, I, I can't wait. I think it's a movie that you you have seen, correct? I have. This is a film that really, I think, represents the Hollywood blacklist. Uh, John Wayne hated this movie to death. It destroyed his friendship with Gary Cooper. And uh, it's very much the antithesis of almost every other Western that came out in the 50s. And uh, I think this is it's our first Western, right, on Oscar Sunday? Yeah, yeah, going all the way back to the 25th Academy Awards for it. So, yeah, I mean, this is where we got to go. We got to go to the heart of it. Very nice. I haven't watched this movie since my sophomore year of college, so it's been a minute. So I'm excited nice. to revisit it with this mindset. Oh, yeah, give some awards out to it. Talk a little bit of, uh, you know, 25th Academy Awards and, and talk a little Gary Cooper. You know, we're, we're going to have some fun. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, don't miss uh, Fatal Attraction on the Filmgasm podcast this week. Uh Julie and I are going to have a good time digging into that one. Also a big old Oscar contender, that film. Um, and then we'll have a more sneak preview tomorrow. Talking uh, Malcolm and Marie Netflix release. Very excited. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Killer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, keep watching movies.